For those of us who do know Jesus, for those of us who have staked a claim, so to speak, who have put our flag in the ground and claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, I have a message for you today from 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, for Your Word, I pray that You would just um, illuminate it this morning, God. Uh, help us to not only hear it and see it, but also to apply it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. There's messages in our world that we get uh, from time to time, and messages go this way. You don't know my story. How can you judge me? You can't judge me, right? You're no better than me. That's one of the messages you hear in our society. Or maybe you've heard the message of God's a gracious God. No matter what I do, God will forgive me. Maybe that's a message you've heard before. And that message sounds somewhat plausible. It sounds somewhat true. The problem is, is when we receive grace that way, then it becomes cheap grace, and it becomes no grace at all. You follow what I'm saying? There's responsibility for us who have claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace, as Mark pointed out from Ephesians chapter 2. But going along with being saved by grace, there is a responsibility that too often many people in our society, to include maybe people even in this room, don't want to, number one, acknowledge, or number two, follow through with the responsibility we have to be followers of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you this morning, for those of us in the room who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, because something Something has to give, especially in this broken world in which we live. Something has to take place so that God will be made known in a world that so desperately needs God. Peter writes this, Since therefore, or because of Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He or she has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. They disdain you. They look down upon you. They, call, they cause you harm, right? They persecute you. They, they cause all kinds of problems for you. But they will give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the Gospel is preached to even those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Worship is not about a particular time and a particular place. In other words, you don't have to be in these four walls to worship. Chances are there are people 
in our communities gathered in churches today that although they've chosen to gather, they will not worship. My prayer has been that every time that we gather, whether it's a Sunday morning, whether it's a Wednesday night, a Thursday night, a Sunday night, whenever it is we gather, that we do so to worship. You see, our life, Paul would say it this way, our life is no longer our life. We've been bought with a price. Now, I grant you, I understand some of us may not be believers. Again, if you're not a believer, I'm glad you're here. But let's, let's have a conversation before you leave. If you are a believer, this describes who you are. Your life has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. By God in the flesh. God incarnate came and He died on the cross. And He was buried in a tomb. And three days later, He rose again from the dead. The Bible tells us we've been bought with a price. There's something about being bought There's something of value that God sees in you that He will not let your demise happen. He wants to have relationship with you. He wants to have relationship with me. I don't know why other than it's God's love. He wants relationship with the entire world. But again, we have a choice to make and worship is not just about a particular time. It's not about a particular place. Worship is about acknowledging who God is with our entire life because it's not our life anymore. Peter says to arm yourself. Did you catch that? Since Jesus Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves is what the ESV says. What does he mean, arm yourself? Hold your thumb there for just a second in 1 Peter. We're going to look at a lot of Paul's words and... uh, Hopefully some of these will make sense to you. We're going to t- turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Mark. Some of you guys are going through Ephesians now. This will make sense to you. Ephesians chapter 6. Listen to what it says. Put on the whole armor of God. Remember, arm yourself. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, Peter would say, even though you're aliens, even though you're foreigners in this land, even though this world is not your home, and in fact, it causes some grief for you, right? Some of you know what he's talking about. There's, there's suffering, there's persecution, there's, there's things that are happening in our world that don't make us comfortable. As believers specifically, that don't make us comfortable, i.e., there's a, a place of who experienced a place of worship, a, a synagogue, Jewish people who gathered thinking that they were going to open the Torah and read the Torah and worship God, Yahweh. And a gunman takes 11 people and wounds four police officers. Now, I'm not a chicken little kind of guy. I don't think the sky is falling, but what could, what could prevent that from happening here at 509 South Graves? Nothing. You see, we live in a broken world. And as Marianne pointed out a little bit earlier, it's not about circumstances that causes us to worship. Right? Peter says to arm yourselves. He uses military language. Understand that you're in a place that means there's spiritual warfare going on. 
Put on the whole armor of God. Chapter 6, verse 11, Ephesians. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What, is, what are the schemes of the devil? Well, the schemes of the devil look like they looked yesterday. With 11 people who lost their life. With domino after domino. With the ripple effect of, of people who have lost loved ones. But it's not just about death. It's also about people that you run into that cause conflict in your life. People that look down upon your faith because you're a fanatic. You're an evangelical Christian. You're a uh, whatever label they want to throw on you. Spiritual warfare looks a lot of different ways in a lot of different contexts. But nevertheless, it's spiritual warfare. Paul says, just as Peter does, that we should arm ourselves so that we can stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, he says, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That sounds pretty serious to me. How about you? Because of this, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore. Do you get the idea? Stand. Stand. Be willing to fight. Stand, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of grace. In all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Not just a few, but all of them. And take on the helmet. Now this doesn't make any sense to an unbeliever, does it? I mean, they don't get it. This is like over their head. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and your life has been bought, it's no longer your life, it's Christ Jesus living in you, this should make all the sense in the world to you. When you recognize that spiritual warfare in your life, you can live by these very words. Paul says, in all circumstances, take up your shield of faith. And you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You can take the helmet of salvation. You can take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You can pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer, with all supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the believers. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the Gospel. Paul describes himself as an ambassador in change. But you get the point, right? Arm yourselves, Peter says. For a good Jew, they would, remind, they would be reminded of Paul's letters to the church there in, in Ephesus. To arm yourselves. He goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 4, to arm yourselves with what, Peter? What should... What should we arm ourselves other than the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit? No, he says arm yourselves with the, notice in verse 1, with the same way of thinking. With the same way of thinking with this Christ who suffered in the flesh. We're told that he thought certain things, that he acted in certain ways, and he acted in certain ways because he thought certain things. Again, hold your place there in 1 Peter, but turn back just a page or two from Ephesians and look at Philippians chapter 2. What, what does Peter mean when he says, arm yourselves with the same attitude, arm yourselves with the same, with the same decisions that Jesus Christ made for us? Listen to what it says. 
One of the early hymns of the ancient Near East, everybody would have, no, they didn't have leather-bound editions like we have, right? They, they shared the Word of God orally, one with another. They, they repeated these hymns over and over and over again, much like the Psalms, but one of the early hymns in the ancient Near East is this hymn from Philippians chapter 2. And it describes the attitude that Jesus Christ had. And so we ought to, when Peter tells us, to have the same attitude of Jesus, to be armed with the same attitude. Here's what he means. Chapter 2, verse 5, Philippians, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Only through Christ Jesus. To an unbeliever, this doesn't make any sense, does it? To an unbeliever, they're selfish. They're narcissistic. It's all about me. But to a believer whose life is no longer theirs, whose the Spirit has moved in and taken up residence in their life, this describes us as believers. We should have this mind among ourselves. This means I have to do away with the selfishness. It can't be about me anymore. It can't be about you. Have this mind among yourself which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself. Get this, church. He was divine, but He emptied Himself. He put on flesh. He came in, in the incarnate Jesus of Nazareth. This is God in the flesh, Kevin. He emptied Himself. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of this, God the Father highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have this mind among yourselves. The same Mind, the same emptying of self, the same humility as Jesus Christ. I was thinking a lot about humility the last several days, and an illustration that I came up with. And what's the best illustration you can come up with about humility? The thing that kept coming up to my mind is Jesus in the garden, is he sweating drops of blood, right? And he says, What? Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Right? It's not about me. This is what I came to do. It's not about me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. You hear that? Humility. That, that's the emptying of self. That's the doing away with selfishness. That's the, the getting out of God's way and let God, it's God's will be done. That's why Paul would say, I must crucify myself. Over and over and over and over again. Because this flesh wants to continue to live. Have this mindset among you. Turn back to 1 Peter chapter 4. He gives us this description, an illustration of what it looks like. You're no longer to live in that flesh. You're no longer to live... Some of you are familiar with these growth charts, I've seen it in some of your houses, right? Where back in the day, I'm not sure it's as imp 
pop, is popular. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm just out of touch. But you know, when I say growth charts, you know what I'm talking about? There's some kind of door facing somewhere. Maybe it's a closet. Maybe it's something. But, but you put your kids up there and you make a mark, right? But it's tape. It's magic marker, whatever. So-and-so at whatever date or whatever, right? And you do that every couple years, right? And, and you see how they get bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, that's what healthy things do, right? We've talked about that. What would occur, I mean, they never go back down, right? Unless you're an old lady, an old man, you don't, you don't shrink. Some of you are offended by that. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, right? It, things go up, right? They, they, they get taller and they get taller and they get taller and they get taller. What would occur if we did that spiritually? If we stood on a, a door facing, right? If we picked a place and we said... So-and-so is this, this mature in 2018. And we do it again in 2020. And we do it again in 2022. And we do it again in 2024. You would hope to see some progress, right? Your progression, right? You would see some kind of growth, right? You think that's reality? Some of us have stayed here. Some of us have gone from here to here. What would the door face say about you? See, you have a choice to make. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've claimed that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and you've received that free gift, if the Holy Spirit has moved into your life, now you have a responsibility. The old has to pass away, right? The new has to come, right? Remember your baptism? Buried with Christ in baptism. Risen to walk in a newness of life, right? Right? Thank you. There's a responsibility. So you can't keep doing the same old stuff. This is the struggle between flesh and spirit, church. I'm not paying attention to time, sorry. For the time that is past, listen, Peter says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the pagans, my Bible says the Gentiles, but the unbelievers, the people who don't know Jesus, for the time that is past suffices for doing what we used to do before we met Jesus. We lived in sensuality. We lived in passions, worldly passions. Drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry, cussing, uh, greed. Whatever it is that, that Satan has hold of you about. That's the old man that, that is, is hard to die. In Galatians chapter 5, he says this list. Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, listen, he's talking to believers. And Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things those who keep going back to the same old sin, those who haven't crucified the flesh, those who are still doing the same 
and claiming that God's a gracious God. Yes, He's a gracious God. I'm going to amen that all day long. But it's not cheap grace. I warn you, He says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty serious. Would you agree? Yeah, that's pretty serious. And yet we have this saturated, I say we, in our society, church, we have this saturated gospel, which is no gospel at all. When people are preaching about you can be as healthy as you want to be. Well, wait a minute. I live in a broken world. I'm going I'm to get sick from time to time. I live in a broken world. You can be as rich as you want to be. God wants you to be rich. The last time I look at my bank account, I'm not rich. The health and wealth gospel is no gospel at all. The gospel that says that all you got to do is, is walk down the aisle and confess and, and go about your business is no gospel at all. You see, the, the world has saturated what it means to have truth. And Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. What does that mean? It, we've talked about it before in, in our Bible study over here on Wednesday nights. This idea of righteousness. No, I cannot be righteous on my own. But if I receive Jesus Christ, if the Spirit moves in and takes up residence in my life, then it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. It's the diakosune. It's the righteousness of Christ. And the only thing that prohibits Jesus Christ being evident in my life is when I push the Spirit aside, when I, when I keep allowing the old dead flesh to get up again. And to get up again. And to get up again. And some of you, I know, we all struggle with this, right? Flesh versus spirit, spirit versus flesh. We all struggle with this. And I'm telling you, church, we, we, we can't keep claiming Just that God is a gracious God, that He will forgive us and forgive us and forgive us and forgive us and forgive us without responsibility. Somebody said it in our Bible study this morning. There will come a time. There will come a time. There will come a time where we'll stand before Jesus one day and we'll answer for everything that we've done. Dottie and Shay and I went to a conference this past week and I took away many things the last couple of days, but one of the things that I took away was, um, you know, we measure things really strangely. Uh, what do I mean by that? How do, you know, how, how do we measure? Well, Jesus measured a fig tree one time. He's walking in Jerusalem and there's no figs on the fig tree and it's Season for figs, right? Remember that? He measured it by saying it should be bearing fruit. And he curses it. They go in, do their business in Jerusalem, comes back out, and he gets to describe to the disciples, the reason I cursed the fig tree is because it wasn't bearing fruit. He measured the fig tree. In John chapter 15, 1-5, Jesus says, here's what you should do. You should bear much fruit. He's talking to believers 
Not unbelievers, they wouldn't understand this, but he's talking to believers and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to measure your spiritual fruit in your life. I want you to stand on a door facing and I want you to make a mark so that today you know where you're at. So that six months from now you'll know where you're at. So that a year from now you'll, Lord willing, be up here somewhere. Well, How do we do that, Jesus? Abide in Me. Remain in Jesus. Because if you remain in Jesus, you will bear much fruit. That's what the Word says. It goes on to say, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Flesh? We've all tried the flesh. Right? We've all tried the flesh, and the flesh always lets us down. We've dabbled in the Spirit. We've dabbled in this thing called the Kingdom of God. We've received peace from time to time. We're followers of Jesus Christ, but if we're growing as we should be, none of us have arrived. Paul would say, hey, I'm just figuring this out myself, right? None of us have arrived, but surely there's this growth pattern that takes place. In our society, we measure things much differently. You know what a healthy church is? A healthy church is 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 40,000, 60,000. I'm convinced, church, that we measure things wrongly in the kingdom. Jesus would use words like remnant. There are many churches, there are many people gathered in churches today. This is nothing against them. I believe there's a need for every church. But you have a choice of whether you're in the place or not to worship. And worship means I take the focus off of me. And it's where it needs to be. You understand what I'm saying? Right? It's not about entertainment. It's not about dollars and cents. It's not about, we're singing my song, so I'm going to worship. But by golly, if I don't, see, if I don't hear my song, I'm going to sit on my hands. You hear a problem with that? You know, I'd go to that church over there because they got the greatest fill-in-the-blank. It's, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Church, that is not the Gospel. The Gospel is, it's all about Him. It's all about Him. You get the idea? Let me show you what it says, how to measure. Look at verse 7. Church, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. Why is it important to be self-controlled? Because you know if you are not self-controlled, what happens? The flesh wins, right? Be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. He's talking about spiritual things. For the sake of your prayers, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. If you don't know about love, let me encourage you to read the epistles of John this afternoon sometime. Look at what it means to love. Look at what it means to receive love. God is love. Anybody remember that? But not only receive love, but to give love. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Wow. 
if we would just if we would just get that. I mentioned to you Ephesians or Galatians chapter five. Let me read the other the other part of the text. We've talked about the negative. Here, here's the positive. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's where it starts. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such things. Now listen. The Jews were all about their 613 laws, right? Against these things I just mentioned, there is, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, hear it out, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, if, if, not, not how many times you come to church, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in touch, or keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. Do you, do you hear how Paul would say to measure? Jesus says bear fruit. Paul would say here's how you, here's how you measure love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, etc., etc. As each one has received a gift, almost done, hang with me. As each one has received a gift, use it to Somebody? Is anybody there? 1 Peter chapter 4. Minister to one another. Serve one another. Remember, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with what, Peter? Arm yourselves with the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Here, here's part of that attitude. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, that's me. That's a teacher. That's an elder. Whoever speaks, may we understand we speak from this word, the oracles of God. Whoever serves, when you're passing communion trays, are you just passing communion trays or are you doing it because you're serving God? When you go to your employment, are you, are you serving your employer or are you serving your employer by way of serving God? by the strength that God supplies, so that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So be it. Amen. So be it. Listen, church. You can share, you can share what God has given you. But you can't control the responses you'll get when you share. You can love as God has loved you. But you cannot control the responses you will get when you love. You can serve by way of humility. You can do everything with righteous motives, but you cannot control the responses you'll get when you serve with all humility. You can measure a lot of things a lot of different ways, but 
God help us. Please let us measure the way God, the way that Jesus measures, and not the way the world measures. As a believer, please let me encourage you. Whether you do it physically or whether you do it intellectually, stand somewhere. Sit somewhere. Reflect somewhere. On where you're at on the face of the door, spiritually. You need a tick mark. So that six months from now, a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, Lord willing, you're in a healthier place. You're in a more mature place. That's the way God measures. That's the way the Word describes God's measurement. That's the way Peter describes God's measurement here. We have a responsibility. Let's not go back to the default mode. And just claim that God's a gracious God. No, he says, be holy. Because I'm holy. Amen? Amen.